You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Sermon on the Mount, now looking at divorce. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now, here's today's teaching. Good morning. Sermon on the Mount contains many challenging passages. Some are not easy to understand. Many are difficult to follow. Today, we'll be looking at what Jesus taught about divorce. Previously, in our podcast on lust, we saw that Jesus deals with the root. Adultery is the fruit of lust, and that's why sexual sin must be taken seriously. The issue of divorce, today's topic, is closely related, particularly because of lax attitudes about marriage in our society, just as they were present in Jesus' time. Now, before we read the passage, I need to take some time to set the stage because background information determines the light in which we will read our text. So let's talk a little bit about the Jewish world in the first century and then a little bit about the Roman world, that is the non-Jewish world. Among the Jews, there were multiple grounds for divorce besides adultery. That included failure to provide food and clothing for one's spouse and also failure to offer conjugal love. The ancient rabbis understood this to be the case because of Exodus 21, 10 to 11, and other passages. I explained Exodus 21 in the notes uh, included in this podcast, but for the sake of time, we'll not elaborate any more right now. Next, legitimate grounds for divorce did not, however, require one to divorce his or her spouse. Just because your spouse has been unfaithful, to the vows doesn't mean that you should divorce. Then a divorced person was expected to remarry, and that was under strong social pressure in Judaism. In the first century, there were two schools of thought among the rabbis, the house of Shammai, the house of Hillel. The followers of Shammai were stricter, and they said that based on Deuteronomy 24, There must be grounds for divorce. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, by the way, is not referring to adultery. Other parts of the Torah deal with that. It's something else. The more liberal school was the school of Hillel, who practiced what is called any cause divorce. That is, you don't have to prove that your wife was unfaithful or your husband did not fulfill his vows. It's an any cause divorce. And that was the norm in the first century. It was very easy. It reminds me of modern Islam, where for divorce, all a husband needs to do is tell his wife three times, I divorce you, and then they're divorced legally. Now, when the Pharisees asked Jesus about divorce in Matthew 19, they want to know which side of the debate he's on. Does it have to be a legit cause, just cause, or is it any cause? Now, Jesus is certainly not on Hillel's side. God's intention is for marriage to last a lifetime, and we should never be cavalier about this. However, Matthew 19.9 has been misunderstood. That passage says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. That doesn't mean that we cannot dissolve a marriage through divorce. It means that we ought not to. The Bible never says that there's nothing you can do to leave a marriage while a spouse is still alive. Now, divorce is a last resort 
but it is necessary in some cases. What about the Roman world? Well, just as in Jewish marriage documents, marriage contracts, divorce certificates, pagan contracts also included vows, wedding vows, like promising to provide sexually and to provide physically for one spouse. It's a little bit different, though, because in the Roman world, separation is divorce. This hit me when I was studying out this topic some years ago, just reading through 1 Corinthians 7, where I see that the word for divorce is the word for separation in Greek. In fact, in, in Latin, the Latin translated from the Greek, the word for separation is divorcium. Divorcium, that's divorce. Of course, that's the culture into which Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians 7. In the Roman world, divorcees, widows, and widowers were all required to remarry by law. If you didn't, you were in breach of the law. You had to remarry, regardless of what led to you uh, being uh, uh, divorced, if you were a divorcee. Now, let's put this all together. Most Jews practiced easy, any-cause divorce. Now, the divorce certificate allowed one to remarry. It meant that uh, no one... the, the First, uh, husband would not be coming after his wife or making further claims on her. So she was not a liability. She was marriageable. In the pagan world, though, people simply walked out on their spouses. And that was divorce. There was really nothing else that could be done. Now, there'll be more on this. I realize this may be a lot of material very quickly. Uh, but in a few weeks, after the Sermon on the Mount series has finished, then uh We'll have several podcasts on this topic. And now we come to our text. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is powerful stuff. For the Jews, this would have been shocking because any cause divorce was standard. That's the way almost everyone did it. They didn't have to prove anything. You want to get out of a marriage, you get out. Remember, you had the, the school of Shammai. The Shammaiites uh, believe you could get out of marriage for uh, grounds. Uh, they included infertility in those grounds, but adultery and neglect and desertion and so forth. And then the school of Hillel said, any grounds, if you think your wife isn't pretty anymore, or if she burns the dinner, you can divorce her. Now, Jesus is stricter than both of those groups, though he's on the Shammai side. In the broader Roman world, remember, separation was divorce. So Jesus's words here would have been shocking to the Gentiles too. For us, as readers largely unfamiliar with the first century context, we easily misunderstand the Lord. But then that's the case with many of Jesus' teachings and much of the New Testament. That's why we need to do our homework. Remarriage, when still married to your original spouse, is adultery. It's a repudiation of your marital vows. Of course, if one is unlawfully divorced and remarried, he has no, uh, he has provided grounds for divorce to his former spouse. Let me uh, clarify that. If someone divorced, but they shouldn't have, and they remarried, you don't break up the second marriage to go back to the first marriage um, because he's already, by the act of 
um, illegally, wrongfully divorcing his wife and remarrying, he's already thereby created grounds for divorce. And the New Testament does not teach that one has to return to one's first spouse. No first century Jewish group prohibited marriage, remarriage after divorce. In the Roman world, remarriage was mandatory after 18 months. That was the law the Emperor Augustus had uh, enacted that was decreed uh, more than 10 years before Jesus was born. So not to remarry was to break the law. And thus, it would be quite strange if Jesus and Paul were teaching against remarriage um, after divorce. Well, let's just say something about church history as we move towards a conclusion. After the war with the Romans concluded in 70 AD, the only people left standing uh, really were the, uh, the Hillelite Pharisees and the other groups faded into obscurity. The original debate between the Shamaites and the Hillelites was quickly forgotten. A few generations later, we have the church fathers who seem to be unaware of the original discussion and they were unnecessarily harsh in a number of areas. And divorce is one of those. I, I find four or five areas in which they simply overreacted. Sadly, though, that set the agenda for following centuries of the position of the church vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And it may, seem, it may sound strange, uh, but in some ways, we're in a better position than these second and third, fourth century church fathers to know what Paul and Jesus actually meant, because we have access to multiple sources to which they did not have access. Uh, Dead Sea Scroll, fragments on divorce, newly discovered Jewish divorce certificates from the first and second centuries, hundreds of Aramaic, Greek, and Latin marriage and divorce papyruses. Uh, there's rabbinical evidence going back to the second century of divorce documents uh, from the Cairo Geniza that were discovered uh, in the end of the 19th century. In fact, all these documents have been discovered in the last century and a half. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, we're supposed to take Jesus seriously. Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Yeah, that's what you were told. But I say that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus is engaging He's entering in a debate that was already going on. So for a cause or because of adultery means that the marriage cannot be dissolved without cause. Any cause, the phrase we see in Matthew 19, means that you don't have to justify or prove who's right or wrong. So what should we do? First, keep our marital vows. Second, understand that without grounds, a second marriage is adultery. Third, Divorce should be the last resort. Fidelity, faithfulness to one's spouse, is far more than not having sex with someone who you're not married to. We're called to be faithful to our marriage vows. That's much more than just avoiding adultery. You imagine someone's getting married and said, I will, I'll be uh, loyal to you. I won't be with any other woman, but I may beat you and neglect you and walk out on you for a year or two. Of course not. Fidelity is much broader, and we are wrong to limit fidelity to just one thing. And even worse when we say, well, unless the guy actually technically slept with um, another woman, unless she slept with another man, then uh, no, there are no grounds for divorce. That's just not right. Jesus, of course, taught selfless, sacrificial love in the marriage. And that is, of course, reflected in 
of the teaching of Paul in Ephesians 5 and other places. Well, that's our passage. It's a lot to look at. Next time, we'll be looking at oaths. In the meantime, Lord, please be with us, particularly for those of us who now feel compelled to study out this issue. And I pray that we'll do that uh, with open minds. And we know we're not objective. Help us to be humble and to listen to your word, but also to look at all the evidence. Father, we pray that you'll be with us today. And if we're married, help us to be faithful in the broadest possible sense in every way, to truly love our spouses, to serve them, and to honor them as Jesus would have us do. Uh, We thank you for the word. Thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. In Jesus, amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas' series on the Sermon on the Mount. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas' website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.